Well, good morning, everyone out there on Facebook Live. So glad that you are here joining us. How are you guys doing? Tell me, just talk to me, put it on those comments. Let me hear what you have to say. I hope you're doing okay. As Pastor Dennis mentioned, some of us can be somewhat frustrated through this process, but it's part of what we're going through, and it's challenging, but I want to encourage you to continue to move forward. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. When he spoke he, the creation and he spoke it, it happened. And uh, we have to understand that God is in control. So I want to encourage you to remain faithful to the Lord. Throughout history, there were many things that happened even worse than coronavirus. And we can assure you that God was still in control then, and he's still in control now. And can I get an amen? Can you help me out and just put a comment, amen, so you, I know that you're with me? Because it's encouraging to hear that you're out there, that you're not just watching, you're not just anticipating, but you want to be able to be proactive and saying, yes, I believe God is doing a great thing by sustaining us through all of this. We recognize that. We recognize throughout our world and our families. We recognize that even here at church. Many have been wondering, what are we doing? We're thinking a lot about this coronavirus. I got to tell you that. <laughs> and we're thinking a lot about reopening. Pastor Dennis, and I, that's all we're thinking about. I can assure you we're not twiddling our thumbs. We're working really hard, and so is the staff and everyone, volunteers, and we want to encourage you to, to move forward. So as we're here for the second part of our standing at the crossroads. We recognize that we're standing at the crossroads of our lives. We're about to make some decisions. But whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's your marriage or whether it's a wayward child or whether it's your job or whether it's a possibility that you're not working right now, you could be one of those millions of people who are out of work. I want to encourage you that while you're standing at the crossroads, know and behold, there are some battles that we have to face to encourage you to move forward, to believe God that he knows what he's doing. I've been there. My wife and I have been there. I'm not just telling you that. We've been there. We've stood at the crossroads wondering what in the world is God allowing in our lives? And so as we look at this today, we have to look now today and wonder what is it because there's some battles going on. And we have to be challenged in our lives. And as I think about battles and I think about one of my favorite movies, in fact, I think it's my son's now too, Giuseppe's, is the movie Patriot. And we just love, I, I've always loved American history and always loved the, the Revolutionary War and studying the history behind it. And when we watch the movie, we're just enamored by the history and how we think about it. And we think about that because... As we think about independence and how the history started against those who were in England, the Americans, the colonialists, they had to work very hard. They had to battle to get to a place where they can be independent. And as we know that the 4th of July is celebrated every year for our independence, there were many battles and there was a war. And although at the end we know we were very victorious, there were many battles that were questioned whether we were going to win the war. And so when you think about the history behind it, how did the Americans win the Revolutionary War? The, the British had 50,000 troops, one of the greatest militaries in the world. 
they had an additional 30,000 troops from the Germans who were willing, German missionaries that were willing to support and, and to battle through. And as they looked at, and George Washington, General George Washington at the time was looking at all of, all of the, the soldiers that they had, it was a four to one ratio. He didn't even have 20,000 on his side at any time during the war. So the odds were against them. But how could have colonialists done this? How could they have won? Well, here's a couple of things. As we can understand that the English and the British, what they did was they overcame the big, large cities, but they didn't take into, into account the countryside and those who were colonials that worked very hard and worked together. And there were loyalists that existed that were loyalists to the king in England, but they didn't take that into consideration as well. They wanted to use, the British wanted to use their own soldiers. They didn't trust in the loyalists because they didn't know if they would turn on them. So they used their own soldiers. They used all of them that they could to overcome the colonialists. But the colonials also did one more thing. They began to create a different strategy. They worked really hard at guerrilla warfare, and they worked at coming together as a team, working together to overcome the British strategists, the British who were leaning forward and trying to win the war. Lord Cornwallis, many who were trying to overcome the colonists. Now, the colonists were uneducated people. They didn't know the strategies of war. They didn't understand. But what they did is they had the fight in them to work through the battles. We understood too, even in the 1777, 1778, and 1779, they were struggling. Even at Valley Forge in 1778, at the winter, there were many who were dying, not only of sickness and disease, but were being murdered on the field, the battlefield. And throughout this history, we understood too, looking back, that it was, it was possible for them to use this guerrilla warfare to come together. But even in all of those strategies and all those things that they used to try to overcome England, it was ultimately Spain and Netherlands and, of course, the French who came. Because when they were able to just get them cornered up at Yorktown, they had 36 fleets in the water ready to defend the American colonists. And now we understand today as we think about the United States, and I didn't even plan this today knowing it's Memorial Day weekend, that it was part of my sermon that battles have to happen and we have to be willing to work through in order to get independence. And battles happen because people are willing to sacrifice. And I want to tell you something, when it comes to our relationship with God, we have to battle. Because when we want to get to the next level, just like the American colonists wanted to get to the next level of being independent, to get to their greatest potential, they had to battle. And that's why I wanted to ask, just make that statement. Are battles necessary, or question, are battles necessary to advance to the next level? I think it is. Just like in a war, in order to get to victory, you have to go through the battles. And the battles are tough. They're overwhelming. They're physically overwhelming. They're emotionally overwhelming. They're mentally overwhelming. And these men who were fighting, they were fighting for their lives to get independence. They thought that if we could just get independence here in America, we can get to our greatest potential. And so they battled and battled. 
And they overcame this. They reached to this pinnacle. And when they did, they took out the greatest military of that time. It was a four to one ratio and they were able to do it. And of course they had received help, but it was sacrifice. They're willing to sacrifice their own lives, avoiding certain personal pleasures in order to fight for this independence. They were committed, avoiding procrastination, willing to be committed, focused. They were concentrated. They had their concentration and they were concentrating on one thing, win, win, win the war, even if it seemed like they were going to lose. They avoided any distraction of a loser mentality. And throughout this time, we have to understand that in battles, we have to do that. So does it take battles to reach to our greatest potential? Yes. Here's another question. Can we reach our greatest potential for God while avoiding our present battles? Now, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. See, as Christians, we were created to have a relationship with God and we were mentioned in this phase, when we ever mention a phase about growing in Christ, when we mention this kind of phrase, it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, that is the purpose of the believer, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then I think of another verse, and it's Ephesians 2.10, where it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you got to think about it. I think about it like a block of ice. God is making us and conform us to the image of Christ. And if we're a block of ice and we're created for good works to the greatest potential that could be, well, then when an ice sculptor is chipping at that block, he's making and he's seeing this beautiful picture. Now, all we see is a block of ice, but when he's chipping, I can't imagine, as I've often said, that that block of ice could speak because it would hurt. There would be a lot of pain, a lot of emotional pain, a lot of physical pain, a lot of mental pain. But as he's doing it, and can you imagine, if we could just imagine for a moment, if that block of ice could talk, obviously he would be going, or he, ooh, ah, ooh, 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 ah, because it's the chipping. And God's doing the same thing. He's chipping at us because he wants us to be at our greatest potential. That's what it means. That's the purpose of the believer in Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So we have to go through battles. We can't avoid battles. We have to go through them. We can't walk around them. We have to face them. See, I, I make this statement here. Before we face the battle, we must face ourselves. Because I think the greatest battle that we have is called the battle of you. <laughs> there was the battle of bulge, but now there's the battle of you. Each one of us has to battle within. I think before we can say someone else is part of our battle, we have to look at ourselves. Because God is conforming us, each individual. And corporately as a church, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We can work together, but instead of pointing fingers at everyone and blaming, we've got to look at ourselves. You know, D.L. Moody, he said this, I have had more trouble with myself than any other man. And he sees that. And if the greatest battle is the battle of you and the battle of me, then I have to look at myself before I can look at anyone else. As we look at the book of Judges today, and as we think about 
Judges and the life of Gideon. I just want to talk a little bit about Judges because the main theme of Judges is this. It's the last verse of the book. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It even says in Judges 17, 6. And the book of Judges was a cycle, a four-part cycle. What happened was the people would sin. God would place judgment. They would repent, cry out to God. And then there would be deliverance, a judge. And so as we see that throughout 350 years, God would appoint judges. There were military leaders. They were likened to be like a king, but not really. And so as we look at chapter 6 of Judges, I want you to turn with me to chapter 6 of Judges. Because as we look at it, we have to first hit the background before we get into understanding what's being said here. Now, as you look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, as we set the background... In verse 1 and 2, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Midian, the Midianites, were the enemies of Israel. And here in verses 1 and 2, the children of Israel sinned, and the Lord delivered his people into the hands of the Midianites. See, it was the Lord who delivered it. It was the Lord who judged. So they sinned, and then there was judgment, just as we said in the cycle. And then verses 3 through 5, it just highlights that the Midianites destroyed their livestock, their crops, their tents, and their entire way of living. So what God did was that was part of the judgment. So they sinned, there was judgment, and then the situation and circumstances in their lives was not working out too well. And then 6 through 8, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cry, and God sent out a prophet. So here they were, repenting, crying out to God, and God begins to send not only a prophet, he'll eventually bring forth a judge. And then 8 through 10, I just want to highlight 8 through 10, because it says this, and the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and they said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to them, I am the Lord, your God. So the Lord is saying, I am the Lord, your God, Yahweh Elohim. And you shall not fear gods, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And see, this is what God continually reminded his people throughout the cycle of 350 years. He reminded them that he was the God that took out their ancestors from the hands of Egypt. And as they were in bondage from the hands of Egypt and the Egyptians, God delivered them, as we understand the story in the past. And he reminds them throughout the generations that he continued to deliver his people for a purpose. But see, God delivered his people because he wanted to bring them to the greatest potential they could be. I think sometimes what happens is we deal with just status quo. We deal with just stale, stagnant quo, status quo in our walks with God. We think God just wants us to just get by. But is it possible that God desires for us to reach our greatest potential? And what does that mean? Does that mean that we have to take more control of our walk with God? Or does it mean that we got to give God more control of our walk in our lives? And I think what happens is we see we often miss when he says, you have not obeyed my voice, because I think sometimes we're hearing too many other voices. 
Sometimes we're hearing the voice of the world. Sometimes we're hearing the voice of other people around us. Sometimes the dominant voice in our lives is ourselves. We hear our voice. And I think that's when doubts and fears and worries and depression and even potential suicide happens. We hear voices. But those voices are not the voice of God, nor the voice of his word, nor the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's our voices. It becomes dominant in our world. And what happens is when we allow certain things in our lives, all these different voices, and in the world, there's no room for the Lord Jesus in our lives. We've been cluttered. We've been dominated with all these voices that we don't give a chance. And then it's difficult for us to obey the voice of God because we're dominated by these other voices. And then we truly fall into fear. We're going through COVID and we're trying to get out of it, but there's still that voice of fear that's lingering. When you see in the media, someone's trying to, trying to get the new voice, trying to throw it up. Instead of caution and wisdom, we hear fear. We hear worry. We hear cons consumption of all kinds of thoughts, but we don't hear the voice of God. God's calling us to trust him even in this. And as we look at this particular life, we look at the life of Gideon, we encounter a young man and that the Lord chose this man to deliver his people from the hand of the Midianites. He did not seem to understand the importance of reaching that potential. I mean, Gideon didn't understand that. But as we see, God must be at work in him in order to reach his potential. God is calling on him. And in this particular narrative, in this episode, he needed to believe that God could use him to deliver they're enemies. How about you? Have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt as though, could God use me? Is it possible? I mean, I'm not good enough. I don't have many talents. I'm not sure if I can be the one to do it as well as so-and-so. And we begin to hear those voices, and we look at ourselves. And we begin to look into the resource of self. We look at our situation, and immediately we say, I can't do that. But see, God, he never looks at us and says he's got that block of ice and he's chipping because he wants to conform us to the image of Christ. And he's looking at us and he's saying, I want to use you. And all we have to do is be available. Yes, there'll be doubts. Yes, there'll be fears. Yes, there'll be worries. It's okay. But God still wants to use you. Gideon, as we see, it's going to happen. So to reach to our greatest potential, we need to understand a couple of things. Let me just share this with you. We need to understand a couple of things. One is God will never place us in a position without promising to prevail. Now, you might say, wait a minute, but Bruno, I'm not very talented, but I'm not looking to your talent. You say, but I, I really can't sing or I can't talk and I can't, I'm not eloquent of speech. Well, neither am I. I mean, I'm trying to get through myself. But listen, I'm going to tell you something. God still wants to use you. God has used throughout history uneducated men and women, people who were unfit to do the will of God, because God loves to take that which is weak and make it strong. That's why I love God, because he takes whom we are weak, and he uses us despite us or in spite of us. I want to say to reach to your greatest potential, all you and I have to do is just trust God that he, we will prevail because he will prevail, because God is God. And he has created the heavens and the earth. There's no mistake what we're going through. I mean, if he spoke, I mean, creation into order, then it's happened. No man could even stand in the presence of God and claim that he or she is intelligent. And I think that's what we have to understand when we see this. 
Look with me in verse 11 as we continue in this narrative as we see, because as we understand the 350 years and all of this and the sin that was happening, here God was trying to challenge us today about sin. Because we understand even in James 4, 17, if we would ask the question, what is the definition of sin? We know it's the missing a mark of perfection, but it's this too. He says in James 4, 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, when we know we should do something, we don't do it, that's sin, the sin of omission. When we shouldn't do something that we should do, that's commission, the sin of commission. And in each of us, we fail, and each of us, we're sinners, but God desires to take us to the next level. And even Gideon, he, take, he takes a man like Gideon, and as you stand at the crossroads and wonder, how was Gideon able to do that? Gideon is standing at the crossroads because God enters in and introduces himself. Look with me to verse 11. And now the angel of the Lord came, and he sat under Terebeth tree, at Orpha, which belonged to Joaz, the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Right there, it tells you this. Here, the Lord, the Lord came, the angel of the Lord. This is the presence of God. We would even see the incarnate Christ, possibly a theophany, Christophany. But here's the angel of the Lord who came. See, the Lord, this is what he does when he comes. He comes calling. He comes calling. And when he does come, we understand too that God intervenes and he comes to us to give us an assignment, believing he will carry us through it, not us, but he. So with Gideon, he wasn't looking at Gideon, but look what he says secondly in verse 12. Because as he's fearful and he's sitting under a tree trying to hide from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, the Lord is with you is covenant language. He doesn't understand that it's actually the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself. But he calls him a brave warrior, another version would say. Now, how in the world can you see Gideon as a brave warrior when he's hiding from his enemies? He's hiding away under a tree so that they wouldn't see him. That's not someone who I would call brave. But yet God sees the potential in Gideon to be brave because he knows he'll carry him there. And even though he has doubts and fears and worries, he can use him. Sometimes we as Christians, we don't understand that God will set us up and place us in a position where we know he's going to prevail and we will prevail with him. In our lives, we see that. And even now, he sees the potential in Gideon. But then he goes on. Listen to what God's, or listen to what Gideon says after he notices that the, this man, this so-called man who there is God, comes to him. Now, I'm going to paraphrase verse 13. Watch me now. Just don't look at your verse yet. This is my paraphrase of verse 13. All right, watch now. Here we go. If the Lord is with us, this is, this is Gideon speaking, it should be easy, not difficult. I shouldn't have to worry, be fearful, or wonder if he's going to be there or not. I shouldn't have to struggle with battles in my life. It is my sin that caused this problem, but if God doesn't deliver me, then I will blame him for my doubts and fears. If the Lord doesn't hurry up and deliver me, then he has left me hanging here to suffer. What did I do to deserve this? You see the weak theology and all of that? That's exactly what he's saying. 
He's saying, what did I do to deserve this? So what? It's my sin. I have doubts and fears. Lord, you're calling me to something. You're telling me that I have to overcome these Midianites, this, this incredible nation of my enemies, and you're telling me, I got to go do this? No way, Lord. Uh-uh, I'm not doing it. In fact, why did you even put me in this position? Why? Who, who are you? You say you're with us. You're really not with us. The Lord is not with us because he's looking to self and he's looking to the situation, but he's not looking to his Savior. How often we fall into this trap of doubting and fearing. See, I think sometimes what happens is doubt is just a way out. I think it is. I said, don't let your doubt be the way out of the situation. Because I think sometimes we're afraid to face the battle. There's a battle in us. We're afraid. We're afraid that if God would have the greatest potential in us, if he would let that work out, we wouldn't succeed, and we're afraid that if we don't succeed, then we're going to be the laughingstock. And God's saying, wait a minute, if I'm going to make you prevail, then just trust me. And then with fear, I think sometimes we let our fear go in the way we steer. We steer with our fear. If I fear over here, I'm steering that way. If I fear over here, I'm steering over there. Don't let your fear be about the way you steer in your life. Don't let fear captivate you. Because God has said that if you trust me, faith will always supersede fear if we put our trust. And God is, he's patient with us. He loves us. See, sometimes our doubt and our fear can be potential killers. They could be potential killers. Now, what I mean is potential to be of the greatest potential. They're killers. We don't look to the situation or to self. We've got to look to the Lord and lean on him. And then he goes on to say this, and the Lord turned him, and this is what the Lord says to him, go in this might of yours, meaning the might I've given you, the strength I've given you, go with it. Lord, I can save Israel. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's like, no, it's okay. Because now he's saying, just humble yourself and trust me. I've given you the strength. I'll get you through it. Just humble yourself. See, the one thing that can kill doubt and fear is humility. Just admit, admit that we need him. Admit that, hey, it's okay. I'm doubting right now. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm fearful. Help me. You turn to the Lord with your fear and your doubt and your worries. And he'll say, I'll give you the strength to get through. This is when God's work is displayed best in us. And then he goes on to say this. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Meaning all these enemies will be just like one man once I strike them. I will give you the strength. I will get you to the greatest potential I've called you to. Just trust me. I'm the one who's going to do it. I will carry you. I am the Lord your God. I will be with you. Throughout these first six verses, right, from 11 through 16, it says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Go in the might of yours. I will be with you. It is I, the Lord, he says. That's covenant language. He's faithful to his covenant. Just like with Abraham, he goes on and continues. Even when they're in the cycle of sin, he continues to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Even if you want to look at 1 Corinthians 26 through 19, it says this, for consider, Paul himself said it, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise According to your worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish 
in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, I don't know how you take that. Sometimes I'm like, dag, Lord, am I that bad? Am I that bad that I'm so low and I'm not even wise? And I thought I could give my little that a boy, Bruno, you're pretty good here. You know, I just thought maybe, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm not so bad after all. But you know what, though? No, I can't get any credit. I've recognized that. In my first 20 years, I tried so hard to get all the credit. And then when Jesus saved me, all he's been doing is chipping away at me. And he's still chipping. Because I'm still leaning towards self in the situation rather than leaning to the Savior. Chipping away. I could be at my greatest potential if I would just humble myself and recognize who I am in Christ. And although I fail, I'm so grateful that God is gracious and merciful to me. See, the person that I have a problem with more than anyone else is me. This is the battle, the battle of you, the battle of me. I want to tell you, God wants to get you to that place. He will prevail, and he's taking us with him. I want to encourage you to know that. Number two. God will provide the necessary patience for us to attain peace. God will provide the necessary patient, patience for us to attain peace. Let me just go back now. Let's go to 17 through 24 real quickly. He said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is in you who to speak with me. So he brings forth. He said, he goes back. He's still wondering. He needs a sign. He's not sure. Then verse 18, I love this. Then the Lord says, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out the present set before you. And then the Lord says, I will stay with you until you return. I will be patient. I will wait on you. And he does. And through verse 19 and 20, he presents an offering to God. And then as we look at verse 22, I just want to highlight verse 22. As we see, it says this, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Why? Because he saw the fire consumed. He saw a miraculous work. He saw the Lord. And, he, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, anyone who could see the angel of the Lord face to face would ultimately die. But God was gracious again and patient because he wanted to see Gideon get to his greatest potential. He wanted to see Gideon to fight this battle, and he had to do it. So it says, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Isn't it great that when we struggle and when we know that we're going through a tough time and we have a battle before us, that God gives us the peace to fight that battle. God gives us the peace to move forward. God gives us the peace to tackle what's in front of us. When you're standing at the crossroads and you know there's a road you got to take and you don't know what's going to happen, God's saying, I'll give you the peace to get there. And sometimes we have to go through the doubts and the fears and the worries and the struggles and all the different battles within ourselves. But God is using all of that. When you think that you're doubting, you're fearing, you're wondering if God's in it, yes, he's in it. Yes, he's in it. He's allowing for all that. He's patient because he wants to work all of that out. Because when he does, then he's going to give you the peace in order to move forward. He wants us to get to that potential. And it's okay to fear. It's okay to worry. It's when we get consumed with fear, when we get consumed with worry, when we can consume with doubt. Because when doubt goes to unbelief, then that's when it's a problem. It's okay to doubt. Just take that doubt and give it to the Lord. But understand, don't let it go to unbelief. Don't let those voices dominate you. 
Understand God has a plan. And see, he goes on and he says like this in verse 24, Then Gideon built an altar, a commitment to God there to the Lord, and called it the Lord is peace. The Lord Yahweh is shalom. The Lord is shalom. He's our peace. And to this day, it stands there. And that's what we have to understand, that God will provide the peace necessary to get us through the doubts, through our darkest moments. I got to tell you, what carries me through every battle is knowing that in my various, very darkest moments, God is there with me. When he carries me and he's patient and he's loving, then I can rest knowing I can have peace to get to the next level. That's what it's all about, getting to the next level. God takes us through these battles and these struggles so we can get to the next level and reach our greatest potential. I love one of these verses in Psalm 103.8. As many as they are in the scriptures, it says this, the Lord is merciful and gracious, and I love this, slow to anger. Am I so grateful to God that he's slow to anger? Because I know at times I make him so angry. <laughs> but he's slow to anger. He's patient. When we sin and when we fail, he's there. And we have to understand that he has a plan. He wants to give us peace so we can move forward. And abounding in steadfast love. That's what you got to love about God. Number three, in order to reach our greatest potential for God, we need to understand that God will place us in smaller battles to prepare us for larger ones. Now watch out now. This is going to get a little heavy here. Okay, this is going to get a little heavy here. Now, Gideon is ready. He's moving forward. And now at that night, he has a father who follows the gods of Baal. And these ha they have these astral poles, these Canaanite gods, which they look to and worship. They, do, they commit some vile acts of worship, sacrificing not only animals, but even children. And they do these vile acts. And here he knew that God was calling him to something even greater. God was calling him to break down these altars in the high places these false gods. We know in the Ten Commandments, the third commandment is to, to love the Lord your God, but it's to, to love no other gods besides God. And if we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, which is the greatest commandment, in the Ten Commandments, number three, it simply says that we're to love no other gods besides God, because that's idol worship. And here we see in verse 25 that at night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull, your, his greatest bull, and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it to by day, he did it by night. Now you gotta understand something here. He told him to cut it down, to get rid of it. And the wood that he got from these false gods, he says, now place this on the altar and burn it up in the same place. Where's the altars? that we need to build of the false gods that we fall into in our own lives, the idol worship. Where's the idol worship in our own lives that need to be broken down? Sometimes we don't understand because 
Sometimes we have idols in our lives, and I'm not referring to sports or watching games or anything like that, but sometimes an idol can even be deeper than that. It could be pride. I need to be right. I just need to be right. I don't care what anybody says. I just always need to be right. That's our pride. Or maybe it's control. Before I make a decision, I need to know it's safe and not too risky. I've got to be in control of this. Or maybe it's lust and vanity. I need to be the best and have the best. Or maybe it's anger. I just need to be in control. And if there's an unmet need, I'm going to let everybody know about it. See, when God wins these battles in our lives, he makes us his workmanship to do greater works. In other words, we reach our greatest potential. And I think that's what Gideon had to do. He had to win this battle in his backyard with his father. He had to win the battle before he can go out and win another battle, which is the bigger battle. See, the smaller battle, although really his deeper battle, was his family. I had to win that battle with my own family. It was tough. It was challenging. When they were making fun of me and questioning me, why would I follow the Lord God and leave Catholicism? And I was made fun of, even my own father. People in the town where I stayed, the city of Stanford, Connecticut, it was tough. I was being ridiculed day and night, questioned. But you know what? I stood my ground. God used it. But he prepared me for the bigger battle, which was greater of reaching more people. He was calling me to the pastorate. I wasn't a pastor then. And he was knowing that I was going to be doing a bigger work. But it was tough in that backyard battle. It was challenging to face my own family. And I'll tell you something, that's where it was. Gideon was there. He was struggling, but he had to do it. He was afraid. He even did it at night because he was afraid that he would, he, he would, again, receive some kind of pushback. And now we see and understand that God used him. Even in verse 34, as we look at that, we understand that God was there in his presence. The Holy Spirit fell upon Gideon to get ready for the battle, the larger battle. And sometimes I think God uses these smaller battles for us to get ready, but the Holy Spirit is always present with us. I think that's why God's presence will always propel us toward our greatest potential. If we know that God is with us. You saw throughout this passage, the Lord is with you. Again, go about this might, almighty valor, man of valor. Go about this might, the strength. The Lord is with you. I am with you. Although you are weak, I am strong. I will get you through it. And throughout this passage, we see even Gideon's getting prepared for the bigger battle. But his presence is promised to be with him at all times. And that is what totally gets us to the next level. It propels us to the next level when we're able to do that. You know, when we came to Christ in the Old Testament, we knew that the Holy Spirit was selective and temporary. And King Saul and King David and many of them in the book of Judges were various judges had specific tasks where God would impose upon his spirit upon them. In this context and narrative, God allowed the Holy Spirit to be upon Gideon for a purpose. And now with our relationship with God, God the Father appointed the Son to come to die on the cross for sin. And he had to battle. He had to battle through taking on the sin of man. And through that, he rose from the dead. And those who trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ will have the assurance of eternal life. Today, Christians have the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives in each one of them. 
for the day, until the day of redemption. It's a guarantee is with them. And as he, we, you and I, when we walk through these battles in our lives, God has promised that he'll be with us, that he'll be with us to the end, that no matter what struggle, difficulty, a trial, doubt, or fear, or sense of abandonment, or sense of isolationism, or sense of imprisonment, no matter what we're going through today, no matter if you want to get out of your house, know that God has said, I promise to be with you until the day of redemption. I will never leave you. But here's the thing. It's our sin that quenches and grieves the spirit of God. And just like the sin of the time of judges, they had to cry out to God for God to deliver a judge. When you and I, when we confess our sin, we as faithful and just will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the Holy Spirit that then is brought back into our presence. And then we hear him and we hear his voice. We don't hear these other voices and we hear his voice. And then we're able to propel to get to the next level. We're able to propel to be at the greatest potential that God has for us. We don't quench him. We don't grieve him. And through it, when the spirit of God is working in our lives, we don't allow idol worship to consume us. Maybe we have that idol worship in our lives. Maybe there's some altars that need to be placed over this idol worship. Maybe you're a man and you're looking in the computer at pictures that you shouldn't be or movies that you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe you need to destroy that computer, destroy your access, get accountability. Whatever place you use in your home to look at that, destroy that place. Break it down. It's worth it. Put something else there. The word of God, a journal, a pen, and a devotion time. And devote yourself to the Lord. It's time to break down the altars. These false gods. And place a new altar. And place yourself on it and dying to self. So I really believe it's going to have to do that. What about anger? What about pride? What about control? What about lust? What about vanity? What about the pleasure for self or your arrogance? What about apathy? See, these are things that need to be broken down in our lives. These are the areas. That's what's stopping us from getting to the next level. I believe this is what's stopping us from getting to the greatest potential that God has for us. I want to encourage you this morning as we're closing out our time together. I want you to think about that. Because God has great things for his people. And we need to be ready to be used of him. We're going to be coming out of this time of COVID slowly. But we don't need to get back to the building in order to be used of God. We do not need to get back to the building. So just let that thought go. We need to be the church. We need to surrender our lives to him. We need to break down these false idols in our lives. We need to break down the sin in our lives. We need to start building altars before God and getting serious about our our relationship with him. We need to reach those who are far away, lost, walking into eternity, separated from God for eternity's sake. You and I have the greatest message and the hope that we can give to everyone, and we sure enough don't need to get in this building to be able to do that. We can do it by just simply being available. That's what Gideon was. He was available. He was willing to be used. Even though his life didn't turn out to the way we would like to see, he was still willing to be used and get through the battle. Yes, I'm taking a couple more minutes to share this with you today because I think it's that important. 
We need to break down the Asherah poles and these false gods. And we need to surrender to the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you. I really do believe you've called your people to the next level. You want us to be at our greatest potential. But we have taken lightly your word. We have taken lightly of the sin in our lives. We have taken lightly of even the false idols that we follow and we don't even realize. I know my greatest battle is no one else but myself. I know my greatest battle is the battle of you, the battle of me. And I pray, God, that you would help me to recognize that I desperately need to break down some false idols in my own life. So start with me. But I pray that as your people, they know the sin in their lives. They know the doubts and the fears, the worries are one thing. But we can't grieve the spirit anymore. We pray that your spirit will move in our lives and help us to see it the greatest potential. Lord, when we do, we'll see you carry us to the next level. So God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for all that you're going to do. Challenge us this week as we look to you and we surrender our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As before we leave, I just want to share this with you. Thank you for being so generous to give to Grace Church. We are so grateful. We're grateful for the continued um, dedication and devotion to our God, the allegiance and loyalty to him. And for us to continue forward, we want to encourage you to continue to give generously to God. If you're a believer today and you're sitting before the Lord, God wants to, you to give your time, your talents, and his money. Yes, that's right, it's his money. And to give it to him. Because while we do so, we can carry this ministry forward. Not only will you be coming back in the building, we're believing God to continue live streaming. Yes, we will be live streaming after we return to the building. And it's going to have some extra costs to it. We want to encourage you to continue to give because we want to present the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We've been reaching many people. Many people have been blessed. They've been writing to us. It's been an awesome 10 weeks to see that. We want to encourage you to do the same. So as you think about that, would you devote yourself to the Lord and ask him? Would you believe him for even that step in your life as well? I want to encourage you to do so. Thanks so much for all you guys are doing. We miss you. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. We can't wait. Believe me, Pastor Dennis and I were sitting there. We're just chewing at the bit, waiting for us to be able to, well, maybe not to hug you, but at least to be able to see you. We can give you an air hug. But the idea is that we can see you and be with you. I want to encourage you to do so. God bless you guys. We'll see you real soon. We'll see you even this week on Facebook Live.